Thanks for tuning in to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. Hey, I want to personally invite you to our first inaugural Healthcare Thinkathon. It's a conference at the Outcomes Rocket and the IU Center for Health Innovation and Implementation Sciences has teamed up on. We're going to put together silo-crushing practices just like we do here on the podcast, except it's going to be live. With inspiring keynotes and panelists to set the tone, we're conducting a meeting where you could be part of drafting the blueprint for the future of healthcare. That's right. You could be a founding member of this group of talented industry and practitioner leaders. Join me and 200 other inspiring health leaders for the first inaugural Healthcare Thinkathon. It's an event that you're not going to want to miss. And since there's only 200 tickets available, you're going to want to act soon. So how do you learn more? Just go to outcomesrocket.health/conference. For more details on how to attend, that's outcomesrocket.health/conference, and you'll be able to get all the info that you need on this amazing healthcare thinkathon. That's outcomesrocket.health/conference. Welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. I really thank you for tuning in again, and I welcome you to go to outcomesrocket.health slash reviews, where you could rate and review today's podcast because we have an outstanding guest. He's a phenomenal leader in healthcare. His name is Austin Ord. He's over in San Francisco, California. He's a director of post-acute care at Sutter Health Bay Area. He has done so many wonderful things in healthcare, but he's just dialed in on how to make healthcare more efficient from areas such as the SNF community care management areas, all the way down to making just the most interesting decisions for community-based organizations to take care of that post-acute area in healthcare, which oftentimes goes ignored. We're going to dive into some of the specifics that he's done at Sutter. But what I want to do is open up the microphone to Austin to fill in the gaps in that introduction. And Austin, welcome you to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Saul. No, I think you did a good job on the intro. I, I've been doing uh, the director of post-acute care role for the last two years, and I think we've done a lot of great work around breaking down silos, bringing different providers in the community together. So I'm excited to share some examples of that work we've done today. That's awesome. And we're excited to hear about them, Austin, because at the end, it's, it's these conversations that, that help us get better. What is it that got you into healthcare to begin with? I think that I have a, a little bit of a, of a unique history with healthcare in that uh, my exposure to it was probably greater than your average average child in the, in the U.S. My mom, unfortunately, was diagnosed with cancer when I was five, mm. and she had a couple of bad outcomes over, over a few years, one in, in small town Oregon and then another a few years later in rural Oklahoma that led to her then seeking further treatment at, at the world-renowned MD Anderson. And it was you know this this battle over several years that I think certainly influenced my decision later on to get involved in the healthcare and that it was such a big part of our family's life for so long. So years later, when I was working in high school at the community rec center and then in college, I, I was pretty interested in you know helping people improve the quality of their lives. But but it really wasn't as meaningful or as complex as I would have liked. So when I was looking to get get more involved in my career plans. That decision and that experience really stuck with me whenever I, whenever I was thinking about my next steps and how I could help other people maintain the, the quality of their lives. So I, I decided to get my master's in healthcare administration and move on into the, 
healthcare field to help other people and hopefully help others avoid bad outcomes like, like we had growing up. Yeah, Austin, thank you for sharing that. It's woven into the fabric of, of who you are and, and you just kind of found an opportunity there to help others have, have better lives through health administration. And as you fast forward into your career and, and the wonderful things that you've done, some that we'll, we'll touch on here in the, in, on the podcast, what would you say the hot topic that needs to be on every medical leader's agenda and how are you guys approaching that at Sutter? Well, I mean, well, there are so many hot topics today. I, but my personal favorite is this transition away from fee-for-service into value-based care. And I, I really think using this change in reimbursement model to help use that economic force to really yes. just change how we deliver care across the board, whether it's improving the patient experience, using more technology, changing delivery models, Etc. I, I think using that as a force to look at, to hit the reset button on how we deliver care and, and revamp it across the board, I, I think is just a major opportunity that, that really excites me and makes me want to get out of bed and, and help do a better job for the patients that we serve each day. We're approaching it, at least in my role, in, in a number of different ways. So Center Health was involved in the CJR pilot that CMS had going on, or still does have going on. We opted out of it recently. But we uh, approached, right? yeah, correct, yep. for the, yeah, the bundle payment or placement program. Yep. So we helped redesign some of the elements in which we involved care by, I had a nurse on my team who would start doing pre-op assessment phone mm-hmm. calls for patients who had elective procedures about two weeks out just to do a full-on risk assessment so we could find out about their home situation, find out about their medical history from a care coordination perspective so that when the patient had their surgery, all this documentation was in the chart and every care team member could go in and actually have an informed conversation with that patient. They weren't starting from scratch. They were able to go and introduce themselves and say, hi, hi, Mrs. Jones. I see that your husband will be taking you home after surgery. I see you've got a flight of stairs and really kind of little things like that, that make the patient feel like they matter, like they care, yes. like they're known. They aren't just some stranger walking into a room that facilitated much better handoffs throughout the rest of the episodes but whenever if they went to a skilled nursing facility my nurse was still following them for the 90-day period so that way the the SNF knew who they were the home health agency knew who they were the outpatient rehab we were really guiding every step of the way and then calling them when they made it home to make sure that any barriers were removed so that not only did this lead of course to better financial performance for the episode because we were making sure the patient received the right amount of care no more and no less, but this really led to, I think, a much better patient experience. So versus a new care provider having to ask the same questions over again, everyone was informed and everyone was on the same page. And that patient was, we don't, it wasn't just lip service about putting them at the center. They actually were at the center. So I'm really excited about the opportunity to participate in DPCI Advanced to do this for more diagnoses. Very interesting. So as hospitals start to look at, and by the way, congratulations on, on that. It's, it's tough to dig deep and be consistent enough to have results and, and improved outcomes, decreased costs in these types of programs. So kudos to you and your team for doing that. Oh, well, thank you. We're very proud and we're, and again, super excited for the next challenge. Yeah. And, and so what, what, what is that challenge? So you, you mentioned the program and maybe diving into some different disease states or, or chronic illnesses. Is there anything that, that you want to maybe share that you're excited about there? Well, so nothing's confirmed yet. We've only just submitted our application to CMS. So we'll have to see what gotcha. we actually end up walking away with. But I think that, again, using these types of reimbursement structures to redesign things is just 
that's what excites me. So whether it's heart failure or sepsis or joint replacement, I look forward to helping helping all of our different providers at every different part of the continuum just really rally around uh, better patient care through the continuum. That's pretty cool. And folks, if you don't know this, Austin was actually appointed by the mayor of San Francisco to represent hospitals and health systems on their long-term care coordinating council. So definitely a trusted source in this field. You know, curious uh, what you think about this as we think about long-term care, Austin. What do you think about the Humana's wanting to buy the Kindreds and all that? Like, what what are your thoughts on that in general? I'm excited about some of these innovative, disruptive partnerships. I think that it'll be good for some competition to enter the market in a new way to, I think, again, further accelerate the changes that are coming from outside forces. Mm -hmm. The the more the merrier is what I think. I'm pretty excited to see things shaken up. I want to see people get crazy. I want to (laughs) see the old structures, you know, be new and exciting again. And, and whatever we can do again to help, help put patients at the center, I'm, I'm all for. No, for sure. Spoken, spoken like a true innovative San Francisco man. Um, <laughs> so give us an example, of, Austin, of something that you guys have done to improve outcomes and by doing things differently. There are so many. Where do I start? Can I give a couple examples? Yeah, or, please, I can please, save one yeah, example for later in the conversation. No, let's so, hear them. So I, you, I love if you have a couple of them that you're excited about, we want to hear about them. Okay. So the, I think the first you mentioned earlier in my introduction, my relationship or work done with some of the community-based organizations. So how, housing in the Bay Area, it's, I mean, to say it's a crisis, I think is putting it lightly. There's a, you know, a large number of, of people experiencing homelessness throughout the Bay. And when they come into you know, our emergency departments really needing care, it presents a, a large dilemma for our care teams in terms of making sure we're utilizing our limited resources efficiently to serve all of our patients, but also doing the right thing for those patients to make sure they receive the right care. In my first 30 days in this role, I was uh, really excited to identify a community partner called Bay Area Community Services or BACS, and they specialize in providing shelter or transitional housing for the homeless. And what we did with BACS is we, we partnered with them they staffed a nurse, and we would end up sending them patients who really weren't appropriate to return to the, to the streets just yet and needed further uh, further therapy, whether it's physical therapy or some kind of ongoing need where they just needed a, a place to recuperate. And we could send home health into the shelter if necessary. And um, what was really exciting was when we brought our SNF partners into the fold, so we could even further up the stream send a patient to a skilled nursing facility who would then go to back. And that just helped build out our care continuum because I don't know if you know, but there's no way skilled nursing facilities often would take these patients because they were afraid that they would end up living in there and occupying one of their limited post-acute resources that are, again, becoming more and more constrained with an aging population. So by partnering with a community-based organization to identify someone, an entity that their expertise was working with this clientele. It's definitely been the right thing for us from an improved outcomes perspective, but it's been the right thing for that patient population too, because in that organization, there are, are caseworkers that can help them find permanent housing if that's the client's interest, that can help get them plugged in with jobs, that can help get them back on their feet in a way that the hospital is not equipped to do. And it's been a super exciting partnership. We've since duplicated, or sorry, replicated that model across the Bay Area with a couple of different partners. And um, and I've actually got another meeting later today to explore a new partnership in San Francisco. So 
that's one way where we've we've certainly done things a little bit differently. Austin, that's super exciting, right? And and listeners, if you're tuning in, whether you're you're a provider or a community-based organization, these types of synergies that Austin and his team over at Sutter have moved forward with really make a lot of sense. And the results are are there with the hospital. You could only do so much, but a community-based organization focused on those social determinants of health and being able to plug in people with housing or other types of mental health, potentially, it really makes a lot of sense. And so an encouragement to you to think about this and check out some of the models that uh, Austin and his team have used. During At the end of the podcast, we'll give you an opportunity to have a place to reach out to Austin or follow him. So uh, don't go away. <laughs> Austin, so what else? You were going to give us a couple other examples. Yeah, this, this one's near and dear to my heart. And we're actually a finalist for the Sutter Health President's Award for this program. Really? Um, so we, yeah, we call it our Community Case Manager Program. And okay. what, we end up, what we have done is we have a, a nurse who rounds with our community skilled nursing facility partners to really support strong transitions of care. You know, if you aren't aware, the patients going to a skilled nursing facility are often our, our sickest or most vulnerable patients because you know, they still require facility-based 24-hour nursing care. Yes. And so those are certainly at high risk of readmission. And then again, with bundled payment, controlling post-acute care costs was our, our biggest opportunity. So this nurse would support transitions of care for all patients discharged from any Sutter Health Hospital starting in Oakland, Berkeley, but we've since expanded the model to cover our CPMC, our, sorry, pardon me, our California Pacific Medical Center, San Francisco partner SNFs. And what, what, they, what the community case managers do is they're on site with the SNF care team on a weekly basis to make sure the SNF care team has all the information they need to provide high quality care to support discharge planning from the skilled nursing facility so they don't just bounce back to the hospital. And then when they come back to the hospital, they represent the skilled nursing facility. And if there were flaws in the discharge or opportunities for improvement, so again, improve that patient experience, it's real-time communication and feedback in a way that is really unprecedented because we don't often hear about those kinds of things once they leave the hospital. So it's leading to constant improvement across all areas of discharge planning for our care teams. And so, with this program, we've seen a tremendous reduction in readmission rates from our skilled nursing facilities and also skilled nursing length of stay, which is important in bundled payment, but also helps create capacity for that next patient that is in need from a fee-for-service perspective. So having that model, the skilled nursing partner see it as a huge asset because it's a real-time point of access into the hospital who's dedicated there to help them do the best job they can. And the hospitals love it because it's a, it's a real you know, arm in real-time operational to support, again, strong, strong discharge planning and partnerships with our community providers. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm super excited about it. That's exciting and so true, Austin, that once the patient leaves the door, it's the onus is still on us to continue taking care of them in order to avoid adverse outcomes or readmissions. And Austin, just out of curiosity, you know, as the dialogue goes of high touch and high tech, sounds like you guys are, are definitely doing a good amount of high touch, getting the folks involved in that. How about the tech side of things? Are you guys incorporating any data analytics or technology to help in that transition? You know, Saul, that's, um, it's like you knew what button to push. Uh, <laughs> I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, not as much as we, as I, as I wish we would, I think, uh, okay. but I think we're moving in that direction. Uh, but I, I know again, it's a bad thing though, Austin, you know, I, I don't think it's a bad thing to not have, because a lot of these things do require human touch. 
Certainly, but I think that the technology could just help us make our limited human capital so much more effective. And I, I, I would love, I and I, I do believe that Sutter is certainly recognizing the, the value of so many of the analytics tools that are now you know, created with the point of supporting the, the longitudinal long-term outcomes of patients. And I, I expect in the near future, we'll hopefully have some more analytical resources. So that way, you know, my nurses are much more effective when they can go out and really get to the root cause or, or do something a little bit better with their limited time. But right now, much of the process that we've done is, is pretty manual or kind of MacGyvered, I would say. But we're, I think we're moving that direction. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, I, th- I definitely feel you, Austin. And you guys are doing a, a phenomenal job. I mean, keep up the awesome work. And just a little tidbit here, folks, if you're listening to this, here's an example of how human touch is here to stay. No matter how crazy you think AI or any of these technologies are going to be, technology is human and the human touch is still going to be important to improving outcomes. And Austin and his team are proof that this continues to be a necessity. So Austin, give us a time when you guys had a setback and what you learned from that setback in some of these programs. Uh, this is my favorite topic to discuss, personal <laughs> failures. No, I'm, so I think um, I'm a pretty fast-moving guy. If you can't tell by my rate of speech, I like to speak quickly and move quickly and, and do things quickly. And I think that sometimes my enthusiasm can be a tremendous asset, and sometimes my fast-moving nature can be a, a drawback. And I, I know just whenever I you know, first became a manager of our of an inpatient care coordination department a few years ago, I wanted to do a lot very quickly. And, and that was, you know, that wasn't the best way to go about change for some of, some of our, our team members who have been in the industry for a long time. And that, that can be very threatening and intimidating to people who have been in the industry for, or I mean, really to anybody, change is scary. So I learned the hard way that it's really important to go slow to go fast. And I think that my takeaway from an earlier stage, whenever I had some staff members who gave me some very critical feedback, some in the form of resignations that they knew went, went that far, unfortunately, that it's really important, A, to engage all key stakeholders in the element of change, B, to take time to learn the ins and outs about current state, about what a proposed future state would mean, the impact that it would have on everybody, and to really make sure that that we're we're doing our our due diligence, that because there is so much happening, there is such a huge volume of information to consume. You could really get involved in anything now. I think it's important to pick your battles and to be judicious and not just implement something for the sake of implementing something because it will bound to be better, but really taking time to make sure you're going to understand the impact that it will have on the people that are closest to the work. And I think that that's been a lesson that I've learned and something that in all of these innovative pilots that I do now, I, I really try to sit down with all the key stakeholders, talk through it, and make sure people feel comfortable and can, can express their feedback in advance of a change rather than pushing something down and suffering the consequences later. That's awesome. No, I really appreciate that share. You know, engaging stakeholders is key. And you said, you know, got feedback, even uh, resignation. That's like a very clear feedback. <laughs> but you know what? The beauty, Austin, is that you you learned from it. You've pivoted since. And, and now you're, you're very tuned into the organization and the key players. So, folks, if you're trying to make change, can't do it on your own. You got to tap into those that are that are at the front lines. What would you say is one of your proudest leadership moments in healthcare right now? I can tell you that my proudest moment in a heartbeat. So same role, I was a 
manager of care coordination. I was fresh out of my administrative fellowship. I was young. I was a non-clinician. I was managing clinical staff, nurses and social workers mm-hmm. to support utilization management, discharge planning, and, and transitions of care. And they had no reason to respect me. They had no reason, other than my title, they had no reason to listen to me. I really had to work to earn their trust and their confidence that I was not going to be more than just another burden for them to jump through because, you know, our case managers and social workers, they are moving at a million miles an hour to help make sure that our patients leaving the hospital have everything they need to be safe. And I did a, a lot to help just to build those relationships in the beginning and offering any way I could. And I remember my, my proudest moment was when one of my nurse case managers, she actually came forward to me with a case and she asked for my help. And that was probably, you know, in my first six weeks on the job, but I, I just remember finally, she was the yeah. first one. We processed it. We, we got the patient what they needed to get to be safely discharged. And after that moment, like I, I remember I, she put a little sticky note on my desk and I came back from a meeting and I thought like, need your help with, you know, patient in room 600A. And I hung that on my wall because that was the first moment when I, as a non-clinician, I was able to be of assistance awesome. to clinical staff and to, to support the patient experience. And I, it's been a real reminder that even though I'm not a nurse, even though I'm not a physician, any way, shape or form, you can help, help support someone who is and really get back to the core Mission, the core um, you know, root of why we're in this industry to help serve others. And I have since saved that sticky note and I carried around with me just to remember that you have to take time to earn the trust and buy But that was a big moment for me. And ever, ever since I've, I've been really proud of that, that monumental shift to finally getting, getting the buy-in of those who weren't my biggest fans in the beginning. That's wonderful, Austin. What a great story. And sort of took me back there. I felt like I was in the room with you guys. And it's kind of like that nurse sensed your frontline heart because you you do have a frontline heart, Austin. You know, you, you, you spent time with your family taking care of your mom and she sensed that in you and you also earned it, but that's something that you have. So kudos to you for, <laughs> for being able to have that, that aha moment and just kind of see the areas where you could add value. And, and that's pretty exciting. So Austin, tell us a little bit more about an exciting project or focus that you're working on. Yeah, certainly. So within, I had mentioned earlier, the, you know, there's that housing crisis in the Bay Area. And that housing crisis really limited the amount of community resources that we can, you know, you, you can send patients to safely, which has led, you know, these led to further blockages in the care continuum. So what I'm trying to say by that, Social Security income, SSI, can no longer cover the cost of a board and care or a residential care facility for the elderly in the Bay Area. So mm. when patients can't afford that, if they have Medi-Cal or Medicaid, what they'll do is they'll often live custodially in a nursing home. And that occupies, again, a, a post-acute resource that we're finding more and more use for from an acute or short-term perspective. So there's all this, all these resources across the Bay Area that, that are being consumed at levels that, that are not at their highest capacity. And so yeah. to, to address this, the Hospital Council of Northern California has convened a post-acute task force in the San Francisco area, particularly where, where the crisis, I think, is the most extreme. And so there are members all across the city, representatives from different hospitals, from different post-acute sites, from government agencies coming together to talk about this issue and really trying to think about creative ways where we can help bypass or help you know, kind of circumvent the 
extreme issues that we're experiencing because it's now having having its impact in the acute setting where we are seeing patients stay in the hospital for extreme amounts of time, which really is an appropriate use to solve the housing crisis. So we've been meeting monthly now for a little over a year and looking at like different supportive housing models or different community-based services where we can help make help ensure people return to the community independently. And we, we're making some exciting recommendations to the City Board of Supervisors and the Health Commission of San Francisco. And I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what that task force will come up with. So that, that's one other initiative in which we've been engaged in recently. That's really interesting, Austin. I mean, you're really digging deep into not only acute, but because you're in this post-acute area, you're really digging deep into to public health issues. And the reality is, as healthcare leaders, we really do have to be involved in public health because health is just one, right? It doesn't just happen within the four walls of the hospital. So that's pretty interesting. It'll be exciting to, to hear what you guys come up with. I certainly hope that there is a viable solution. One of the things that we're looking at doing across the city is implementing a standardized measurement of these patients who really don't have a medical need, but end up staying in the hospital for a long period of time. So we can start to quantify what their need is and what the availability of community resources are, and then working with different leaders across different community-based organizations or government agencies to then help build out more of those resources or engage people who can help create those create those resources. So I think that'll be one of the low-hanging fruit we'll, we'll implement here in the next few months. That's so awesome, man. And hey, we'll, we'd love to get you back on maybe in about a year or so to hear uh, what comes out of it. I'd be happy to. Hey, so we're getting close to the end here, Austin. Let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in healthcare leadership. It's the 101 of Austin Ord. And so we're going to write a syllabus. I've got four questions, lightning round style for you, followed by your recommendations of a book and a podcast for the listeners. You ready? Yes, sir. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? I would put patients at the center. When patients are at the center, all of their metrics align. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Going too fast, too hard, as I mentioned in my earlier example. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite all the change? I personally like to subscribe to a lot of different newsletters or articles that come out, whether they're from CMS or from different healthcare publication organizations, just to stay on top of all the changes and, and find the ones that are really going to be impactful to our work or have a really great influence of change on how, how we serve patients. So I like to just stay informed to the best of my ability. Love it. What's one area of focus that should drive everything in a health organization? I have to say put, put patients at the center. That's Love really it. what I think we're here to do. Fantastic. And what, what book and what podcast would you recommend on this syllabus? I'm a big fiction reader, so I, if I'm going to read anything, unfortunately, it's not probably about it, organizational change. But, yeah, but if I did have to pick cool. one, I think that the tipping point is a really great one. Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. It's all about affecting organizational change and how to make, make ideas sticky and getting people to buy into those, those, buy into your ideas. I think that that's a fantastic book to read. Awesome. You're definitely creating tipping points over there at Sutter. So a great recommendation. And, and how about a podcast? Do you have any favorite podcasts? Obviously, Outcomes Rocket. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. <laughs> Listeners, if you want to get more information on this interview, the transcript, links to the recommendations, 
links to Sutter and all the amazing things that Austin's doing, just go to outcomesrocket.health slash Austin, A-U-S-T-I-N. And you're going to be able to find all of that there. Before we conclude, would love to just uh, get your closing thoughts, Austin, and then maybe a place where the listeners could get in touch with you to collaborate or follow you. I'm certainly interested in, in changing up how we do things innovatively, taking the care models that we know have served patients, but finding ways to improve upon them to only make them more effective. And I, I love the sense of enthusiasm that, that we're starting to see from you know, new entrants into the market, like the Amazon JP Morgan Berkshire announcement that came out a few weeks and months ago, time flies. The, you know, some, some of the new payment, payment models moving forward, like the PCI Advanced. And so I'm just super excited to see where the industry is headed. I'm, I think it's a great time to be in healthcare to really, if you want to dig in and do something innovative, not now is the time to get crazy. So if people would like to get in touch with me, LinkedIn's a great place, Austin Order. You're welcome to shoot me an email. O-R-D-A at SutterHealth.org. Outstanding. There you have it, folks. Austin, this has been a pleasure. We definitely learned a lot in this post-acute area and housing. And so I really want to thank you on behalf of me and all the listeners for uh, spending time with us today. Hey, thank you very much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast. If you want the show notes, inspiration, transcripts, and everything that we talked about on this episode, just go to outcomesrocket.health. And again, don't forget to check out the amazing Healthcare Thinkathon, where you can get together to form the blueprint for the future of healthcare. You can find more information on that and how to get involved in our theme, which is implementation is innovation. Just go to outcomesrocket.health slash conference. That's outcomesrocket.health slash conference. Be one of the 200 that will participate. Looking forward to seeing you there.